Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. I want to start uh, this ending to the series together by asking a question of you, and it might feel like kind of a weird woo-woo question, okay? So if it feels like a trick question on the front side, you're probably paying attention, okay? But the question I want you to consider for just a second as we begin is how many of you are here? See, it feels like a trick question, right? You're like, Eric, you can see me. I'm here, right? Hi. But, but, but I don't mean like physically here, okay? Hopefully you know that you're physically here, if you don't know that you're physically here, we can talk after the service, okay, and we'll help you. But, uh, like, how many of you, when I say here, I mean, like, how many of you are really, like, fully present, dialed in right here, right now, in this moment? Like, we can actually do a show of hands if you want. How many of you are here? Yeah, right? It's church. You're all like, yeah, I got it. Good. Yes, sir. And, and that's great. And, and I really am glad. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're present in this moment. I'm glad that you're attentive. I mean, we're, like, one minute in, so I would kind of hope so at this point, Uh, but unfortunately, some of you won't be here for long, (laughs) okay? Unfortunately, uh, you may be here physically, okay, but like mentally or emotionally, you may go somewhere else, right? It's just the way that it goes. You may be here right now, but you may get a text message in just a few minutes, and you can't fight that urge. Maybe like your ringer's on, and it dings, and it's really embarrassing. You're like, oh my gosh, you're trying to, or maybe you intentionally have it on vibrate or something. You're like, I got to be able to respond if people need it. Some of you, God help you, in the middle of my message will like feel inclined to send a text message, okay? And and so you'll leave, right? You'll pull out your phone, you'll go there for a second, and you'll actually initiate that message. Some of you won't be able to take it anymore, and you'll have to check Instagram. It'll be like, it's been seven minutes, I just don't know what's happening out there, right? So you'll pull it out. You don't think that I see it, but I do. Uh, Some of you, you'll be thinking about what you've got to do, right? You've got that list for today, and it's like it's drifting out there. Some of you are like, great, I wasn't until you said so. Now I can't get it out of my head. Some of you, you're probably like me, and you're thinking about your next meal, right? (laughs) You're thinking about where you're going to eat after this. Um, In all seriousness, you might be worried. Maybe you're carrying something heavy today, and maybe that's even what brought you into the doors of a church, and if that's why you're here, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, but maybe you're worried about something and your mind's just going to drift towards it. It's, it's your bills that you've got to pay and they're just waiting for you and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Or maybe it's that distracting person a few rows in front of you, right? And you just can't let it go. Maybe, maybe she's not wearing a ring, right? And you're like, you noticed it during worship. She had her hand up and you're like, she's cute too. So Lord, I'm here for it today, right? Maybe, maybe you're going to get distracted. I don't know. But wherever you end up going, I do just want to say like right now, I am so glad that you're here and, and that you're here right now. And uh, we're going to mix things up a little bit and uh, actually jump into uh, some scripture early on today. And uh, the way that I'm going to use this scripture is generally not like how you would just read the Bible and how you'd use it, but it's kind of a good launching point for where I want us to go together. And uh, we're actually going to look at a moment that we talked about last week, a moment in Jesus's life. It's actually Jesus's very first miracle. And if you don't know the details, uh, Jesus's first miracle happened at a wedding. And if you don't know the context, it was an extremely embarrassing moment for the host of this wedding because the party had been going on, the wedding went great, right? Everybody's hanging out. Everybody's having a good time until the wine ran out. 
And when the wine runs out at the wedding, the wedding runs out, right? Like it's, it's just like the host is embarrassed. He's like, oh my gosh, what do we do? The party is coming to this crashing halt. And Jesus' mom happened to be there. And so Jesus' mom like knows that Jesus has the son of God card in the back pocket. And so he, she's like, Jesus, do something, right? Like fix, fix the party. And so Jesus is like, yes, mama. And he goes uh, to the servants at the party and he tells them, hey, go get these jars, these massive jars. Like they're huge. They're probably 20 or 30 gallon ceramic jars. And he says, go get these jars. And what I want you to do is I want you to pull water and fill them up to the brim with water and then go give it to the master at the banquet. And these servants are probably like, that's not gonna go over so well, Jesus. Like, this isn't how to throw a party. But anyway, they do it. Okay, so they take it and uh, the text picks up in John chapter two. It says, they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So we talked about this last week that uh, Jesus and, and the way that Jesus lived, he was never in a hurry. He wasn't rushed. In fact, Uh, This miracle basically is Jesus like kept the party going. He wanted to hang out a little bit longer. And so he brought out the very best wine at the end so that people would continue to hang together. But like I said, in a bit of a roundabout way, I actually want to use a phrase that was said there at the very end to launch us into where I want us to go today. uh, Because it says that you have saved the best till now. And what I want you to think about today and where we're going to go together uh, is this idea that your best days, the best days of your life, they are now. I I don't know what season of life you're in, I don't know what circumstance brought you here, but I would say regardless of your circumstance, regardless of your season, regardless of your age, regardless of your stage, that your best days are now. So we're wrapping up the series today. It's called A Better Way. And the reason that we called it A Better Way is because we've really been highlighting that Jesus modeled a better way for us. Then when we look at the way that most of us live our lives, it's stressful and it's chaotic and many of us are rushed and we're hurried and we're trying to get to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And we said that Jesus actually modeled a better way of living, a better way than the frenzied pace that so many of us find ourselves in. We talked about how Jesus wants us to live an unhurried life a life that's not just rushing to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And last week it was a little tension-filled, but we confronted all of us, myself included, with the idea that all of us have time for the things we choose to have time for. We all woke up with the same 24 hours today, and we will all have time for the things that we choose to have time for. And so we were looking at our priorities and and what gets us so rushed and why uh, we are just running so crazy. And what we've said throughout this series is often it's even our pursuit of good things that can cause us to live in a way that is so different than the way of Jesus. Uh, For most of us, we are stressed and we're rushed and we're anxious and we're overwhelmed, but Jesus, he was never hurried. Jesus had time for people. He was willing to be interrupted. He was willing to linger and, and hang around. Jesus, even though he had the most important assignment ever, Jesus still found a way to stay connected with his heavenly father, even in the midst of everything that he was carrying. And so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at the way that Jesus lived. We don't just want to agree with the truth that Jesus said, but we want to look at the way that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus loved and actually model our lives after the way that he lived, 
after the way that he managed everything that he had in life. And one of the most striking qualities about the way that Jesus lived is that no matter who he was interacting with, no matter what he was doing, Jesus was always present in the moment. Jesus was always fully present, and he lived with what I would call this undivided attention to the moment. And in fact, what I want to do uh, is actually show you two stories that happen back to back in Scripture where Jesus shows this undivided attention to what was happening in the moment. These stories really illustrate Jesus' heart for the people who were right in front of him and how he was fully engaged with them. So the first one, uh, we're not going to throw up on the screens. I'll just kind of tell you about it. It's found in Luke's account of Jesus' life if you want to go and look it up for yourself. But it happens when Jesus walks into the town of Jericho. And uh, if you know anything about Jericho, there's a famous story in the Old Testament about the city of Jericho. God's people had left Egypt and they were heading to the promised land, but along the way, uh, they ran into some trouble. There were these enemies of God who had these fortresses all along the way, and Jericho was like the biggest and the baddest. And so the people freaked out, and they're like, God, we can't go where you're telling us to go. And God's like, hey, no, I've got you. Like, I'll lead you. Just listen to me. My favorite version is the VeggieTales version, uh, where they show up, and there's like the little peas on top of the castle. But anyway, Uh, What happens in scripture is this remarkable miracle. Uh, God asks his people to do this unorthodox thing and they march around the walls and they sing worship songs and then eventually they blow their horns together and after seven days, the walls crash down and the people are able to pass through. So it's this like dramatic milestone story and the story of the people of God. Uh, Jesus is on his way to that city, but it's thousands of years later. Okay, the walls have been rebuilt and it's this majestic city again. So if you can imagine the scene, Jesus and his followers are walking to this incredible walled city and they're getting to the gate. And, and this is pretty late in Jesus's life and Jesus's ministry. So he's starting to draw a crowd. So there's, I can imagine all these people gathered together and kind of this commotion and chaos. Like, you know how much chaos there was about Taylor Swift coming to Indianapolis this week? It's kind of like that, okay? Jesus is coming to Jericho and everybody's wanting the pre-sale code. So he's walking over there. It's all this commotion. And then all of a sudden, there's this voice that cries out in the midst of the chaos. And, and it's the voice of this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus' closest followers, okay, like his entourage, they hear this and they're offended. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. no, 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 no. This is Jesus, Okay, and we're coming to Jericho. Like, Jesus doesn't have time for this guy. Jesus is a big deal at this point. Jesus, Jesus is going somewhere. Okay, Jesus is important. This stop was not on the agenda, okay? Like, we're not doing it. And so uh, they're like, Jesus, you're not going to stop for just some guy on the side of the road. And the disciples actually turn to Bartimaeus, and they start rebuking him, or they start yelling at him. They're basically like, hey, go away. Be quiet. Nobody wants to hear from you. And then what's so remarkable is Jesus sees all this happening, And Jesus turns and he starts to rebuke his followers. He starts to to confront his disciples and he he tells them, hey, no, 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 you're getting it wrong. And he stops what he's doing and he turns and he engages with this single hurting person, fully engaged in the moment, right? Jesus, who is going somewhere, who is doing something important. He stops and he gives all of his attention and he turns to Bartimaeus and he says, what would you like me to do for you? And the man cries out, could you heal me? Like, could you heal me? I want to see. I've been blind from birth. And Jesus miraculously heals the man. But I think there's two miracles that actually happen in this encounter. Right? The obvious miracle is that Jesus heals the guy and he can see. But I think the second miracle might be all the more miraculous in our current cultural moment. Because Jesus, who is busy, who is important, who had a lot going on, 
Jesus stopped for a guy that nobody else had time for. Right? Jesus stopped and he was fully engaged with the person in front of him. The next story, like I said, it's consecutive. It happens right after, and uh, it's recorded in Luke 19, and it mentions Jericho again. The text says that Jesus entered Jericho, right? Bartimaeus, all that happens. Jesus enters Jericho, and he's passing through. So Jesus has places to be. He's just on his way through Jericho. But a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. So Jesus has already been interrupted, right? Bartimaeus meets him at the gate, and they have that whole encounter. He's interrupted by this poor blind beggar. Now he's interrupted by a rich, corrupt tax collector. And what I love about Jesus, these two stories back to back just illustrate this, it's that Jesus has time for the down and out, and Jesus has time for the up and out too, right? Jesus has time for the guy who appears to have nothing and this guy who appears to have everything. Jesus has a heart, and Jesus has time for anyone and, any, and everyone, And so for us today, here's what that means. It means it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how much baggage you're carrying. It doesn't matter how heavy that baggage is weighing on you or how dirty it is or how rich you are or all the things you have or all the things you don't have. Jesus cares about you. Okay, Jesus cares for everyone and he takes the time to offer his full attention uh, towards this guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he, right? He kind of, in the, if you, you just revealed you grew up in Sunday school probably, okay? If you don't know what we're all doing, you're fine, okay? I promise. We can still taste the bad fruit punch, okay? But uh, Zacchaeus was this guy, and he climbed up in this tree because he wanted to see Jesus. But the thing about Zacchaeus that's remarkable is he was a tax collector. A- and I don't know how you feel about tax collectors today, okay? It's never like our favorite person to run into on the street. But in the first century, it was way worse than it is now. Because tax collectors in Jesus's area and in Jesus's day, these tax collectors were essentially traitors to God's people. Uh, Many times they were Jewish people who actually were working for the Roman Empire and they were levying these taxes that the oppressive Roman government uh, was putting on God's people. So so they were working for the oppressors instead of standing with God's people. And and as if that wasn't enough, right? People already kind of viewed them as if they were traitors uh, to God and to his people. But they not only did that, they also would tend to kind of skim a little bit off the top. So what would happen is a tax collector, especially a wealthy and successful one like Zacchaeus, they would go and they would say, hey, Rome demands this much, but then they would bump it up, right? And I demand that much. And then they would live off that, that they were skimming off the top. So they were viewed as these corrupt people, these despised people, these hated people who were disobeying God, who were betraying his people, and who were taking their money on top of it. Jesus sees that guy, and Jesus calls him out by name. He says, Zacchaeus, and and essentially Jesus invites himself over for lunch. Remember Jesus who's passing through Jericho, Jesus who has places to be. Uh, He invites himself over for lunch after he had already been interrupted once. He sees this no good sinner, right? He, He sees this guy that everybody hates, and he gives him his full attention. And he goes over for lunch, and Jesus and Zacchaeus are hanging out, And as they're talking, Zacchaeus has this moment of deep repentance where he suddenly feels terrible for everything that he's been doing and for everything that he's done. And he he starts to say that he's sorry in the presence of Jesus. And he says something like, man, I've just messed up so much. I've hurt so many people and I'm so sorry. Like I'll do anything to make it up. And in fact, if you read through the text, you can kind of tell that Zacchaeus is just kind of undone and he's doing that bargaining with God thing that we all do sometimes. He's like, listen, I'm going to give everything I have to the poor Okay, like, like I'll give it all back four times over. He's like, I'm so sorry. I want to make it right. 
And then Jesus looks at this man, again, fully attentive, fully present, and he says, Zacchaeus, today, in this moment right now, salvation has come to your house. In this moment right now, like, I'm here, and and you're free. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything to set this right. Jesus had undivided attention in the moment, and he stops, and in both of these accounts, he gives people the greatest gift that he could give, which was his attention and his love. Jesus was always fully present in the moment, and if you've ever known somebody like that, If there's ever been somebody in your life that when you hang out with them, you're just like, man, they seem to have time for me. Like, no matter what, it seems like we can just linger together. Maybe you have coffee with them, and it's like the coffee just keeps going, and you're, like, getting jittery because you've been hanging out with them for so long, but they're, like, not rushed. They're not in a hurry. They're just present. I mean, isn't it amazing when you know somebody like that? Maybe it's, like, your grandma or your grandpa because they're just, like, not in a hurry to get anywhere. They're just living life, and you just love being in your presence. When you're around somebody like that, you're tempted to linger. And for me, anytime I'm around somebody like that who just seems attentive and who seems present, I always walk away and I'm like, man, I want to be like that. Right? Man, that seems like a better way, right? That seems like a better way to live. But unfortunately, I'm not like that. Okay? Unfortunately, to be honest with you, I am like so distracted all the time. Like, I mean, I, am I here right now? Yeah, because I'm talking, but like, it's so easy for me to drift and to go somewhere else. And uh, man, when I think about what I want my life to look like, and if you thought about this for you, I would, I would bet you'd say the same thing, right? You want to be present. You want to be present for all of those moments. And especially, I think we think, man, I want to be present for the big moments of life, right? I want to be present for, for the stuff that matters most. But even for me, like, I want to be present in the everyday stuff too. I want to be present and I don't want to miss out on the life that I have in front of me. I want to be present even in those annoying moments. Which, do any of you here today, like, have any annoying moments that happen just day in and day out? Yeah, right? I see, that's awesome. You just threw your hand up. You're like, yes, I'm thoroughly annoyed right now, to be honest. But, like, for me, I was thinking about this. And uh, I've got a four-year-old, almost five-year-old. I talk about her weekly, it seems like, around here. And uh, we just got back in the school routine. She's not yet in school, but my wife's a teacher, so she was away. And what we do on Fridays is I hang out with her during the day, uh, me and my daughter. And uh, we were doing it, and it was awesome. Like, the first two hours, you could tell, like, she was like, oh, my gosh, Dada days are back. Like, this is amazing. And then she got in this, like, kind of repetitive loop where she just wanted to do stuff that I was like, no, that's annoying. I don't want to do that. Like, she wanted to pretend to be the mommy, and I was supposed to be the son, and we were going to the grocery store. And it was like, no, we're not doing this right now. Right? It was was starting to annoy me. So here's, like, a dad hack that I've learned just for anybody who needs this. Um, You can actually teach your kids to play games that are just basically disguises for you to kind of take a nap. Uh, For example, I've introduced Eden to playing the bear game, because what do bears do? Hibernate, yeah, you got it. So what we do is we take a big blanket and like we like lay it on the couch and we're bears in our caves and then dad can kind of hibernate while she's just like doing her bear thing in there. Like, it's great. Or um, I saw this one online actually, you can uh, tell your kids if they're artistically inclined, they like to draw and stuff, you can be like, hey, Tell you what, like here's your pad of paper, here's your crayons and stuff. Draw a picture of Dada while he's napping, okay? And then you just lay on the couch, just like like one of your French girls. Or what. And, and so like the kid can draw, and you get a little bit of a nap in there. And I can tell I'm a worse parent than all of you, okay? <laughs> but my point is just like sometimes there's those like I love my daughter, okay? I love the time I get with her, but there's those moments, right? Where it's like mm, I want a day off, right? Or my dog, okay? My dog uh, will turn a year old at the end of this month. And she is every bit of a puppy. 
And I had one of these, like, why do I have a dog moments yesterday? Uh, because I played at the farmer's market on Saturday morning, and one of the cool things you can do is I set out a little bucket or People are generous around here. They could throw in a tip if they're like, hey, the music's good or tolerable or whatever. And so people did that, and uh, I had taken it home, and I had set the stick of cash that people had given me on the middle of my dining room table. And then I went upstairs to do a little bit of work, and I, like, pep-talked the dog. Do you guys ever do that? Uh, if you have a cat, you don't do that because they don't listen, right? But the dog, you have some hope. And so I, I got this puppy in front of me, and I'm like, listen, I know you like to chew on things. Okay, I know you've destroyed a set of my blinds already in my house, and I don't, I don't forgive you, but we'll figure it out. Uh, but don't chew up anything, okay? I'm trusting you. Like, I believe in you. And so then I go upstairs and I work. I come down like a half hour, 45 minutes later, and there's just cash shredded everywhere. <laughs> yeah, the dog ate $14 in ones. I'm like, wh who does that? What dog eats money? Apparently my dog, Okay. So I'm annoyed. I about slapped a return to cinder sticker on her and just sent her on back. But listen, I love my daughter, okay? That's hopefully obvious. I love my dog most days, okay? <laughs> but what I realized I can tend to do in these annoying everyday moments, and I would be willing to bet you've fallen into this too from time to time, it's that we can find ourselves complaining about moments that we're going to miss tomorrow. Right, we can find ourselves complaining about moments in life that, that someday in the future you're going to look back on and you're going to miss. Like my daughter and, and whatever game she wants to play and they're like, oh, in the moment, I'm going to miss that because someday the toys aren't going to be on the floor anymore, right? Someday she'll be off doing her thing as an adult and, and those days will pass by so quickly. Someday the dog won't be there, right? And, and I'm going to miss it. Even the annoying stuff, like in some remarkable way, I'll even miss that too. And, and so many of us, we're complaining about the very moments that one day we're going to miss. And yet Jesus was fully present and fully engaged in the moment. So are you here? Because statistically, some of you are not anymore. Okay, <laughs> that's generally the way that this works out. And in fact, uh, Harvard did a study where they found out just how bad the situation is as it relates to our attention span. And what they found in their study is that 47% of the time, people's minds are not in the same place that their feet are. Okay, like 47% of the time that you're in a conversation with someone, your mind is not fully engaged or their mind is not fully engaged. 47% of the time you're sitting in church or that you're sitting uh, around the dining table with your family or you're at work talking to somebody or you're at the gym or maybe you're like with a group of friends. 47%, almost half of your waking life, your mind is not fully engaged where the rest of your body is. And in fact, I think one of the biggest reasons that we are all so distracted and so not present in the moment are these wonderful devices that all of us carry with us everywhere, right? I mean, we can do amazing things, and so many of us are so addicted to doing amazing things on these devices. And I'm like, I'm not anti-cell phone, I'm not anti-mobile device, I'm not anti-internet or anything like that, but man, are we addicted to it. Man, is it distracting us from the present moment that we're living in. And in fact, you don't know, uh, in case you don't know or you disagree, the average cell phone user, the average cell phone user, studies have shown, touches their phone 2,617 times a day. Some of you germaphobes are like, gross. Right? They touch their phone that many times. That's a lot of times that you're not in the moment. 
Right? That's a lot of times that you're reaching over and you're reaching over and you're reaching over and whoever is on the other side of you is not as important as whatever may be happening over there. Right? There could be a notification and it's red and that bothers you and you're like, my lizard brain needs it. And so you look at it and you're trying to figure it out and you're like, man, what, what is the latest news thing going on? Or you know, is there a cat video that I'm missing? Or what's the latest conspiracy that my uncle shared with me? Or, like, and here's the thing. That's just average people. Okay, some of you are so above average, okay? And, and so if we really wanna go there, the average is 2,617 times, but the top 10% of cell phone users, they touch their phone more than 5,400 times a day. Thousands of times a day that you're not with whoever is in front of you. Thousands of times a day that we're distracted, right? Thousands of times that you're there, but your mind is somewhere else. And listen, it's not just phones. Okay, those are easy to pick on, but some of us, we're just distracted even by our own thoughts. We're distracted by our own mind games that we tend to play. And one of my favorite mind games that I drift into is what I would call the win-then game. It's that game where you think like, man, when I get there, then I'll be happy. Right? When I get that, then I'll finally be content. And I know I especially did this when I was younger. Like when you're in middle school, it's like, man, when am I going to get to high school? And then you get to high school and it's, man, when can I drive? And then you can drive and it's like, man, this isn't as awesome as I thought. When's it going to be college? Because I've heard college is amazing. And then some of us love college so much we do victory laps. But eventually we're like, man, when am I going to get a job, right? When am I going to start that career and really make an impact in the world? And then it's like, man, when am I going to start a family? Because then, like once I find that person and I get married, then life will be amazing. And then inevitably, you're like, man, when are we going to start a family? And, and then if you're able to do that, it's like, man, when are they going to be out of diapers? Right? And then eventually they're out of diapers and you're like, man, they're still in the house. Like, when are they going to grow up? When are they going to do their thing? And then they, they move out eventually. And then you're like, man, when I'm in diapers again, like then, and, and it just on and on and on it goes. And so many of us, we end up wishing our lives away, right? So many of us, we play this win-then game and we're literally going through wishing away the current moment that we're in in favor of some future moment where we think things will be better. We're wishing away what we have in front of us right now. And, and listen, as we're talking about a better way to live, right? The way that Jesus modeled for us. Here's kind of the point today. So I don't want you to miss what you have now pursuing what you want later, I don't want you to miss what you have now, pursuing the things that you want later. Because again, Jesus was fully engaged in the moment. And, and listen, for me, if it's not the like win-then game, one of my other favorite games that I play is the what-if game. Right? When we look at the future, so many of us, we're so anxious and we're so overwhelmed and we're so worried because we're projecting in the future, what if this happens? Right? Maybe you're in school right now and you're trying to keep up with stuff. I know it just started back up, but we've all been there where it's like, man, what if I don't pass this test, right? What if I don't get the grade that I need to get? And then I, what if I don't get into the school that I want to get into? And then what if I don't get a good job because I didn't get into the school? And then what if, because I don't have the good job, I don't attract a good spouse? And then what if we have dumb kids, right? And then what if like we can't afford braces because I didn't get that good job because I failed that test. So then they're dumb and they have crooked teeth. And then I'm like, I I've ruined my kid's life all because I didn't do the test, right? And it just goes and goes and goes and goes. Uh, some of us were like, what if the government, right? what, what if the economy and then the anxiety is just rising for all of us? And yet in the midst of that, 
Hey, what, what if aliens attack? Because apparently they're real now. Like, in the midst of all of that worry, Jesus said this. It's recorded in Matthew's gospel. He says, therefore, in light of who God is, he says, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. It's a better way, right? But by the way, that's terrible advice if you have a worried friend, okay? <laughs> like, if somebody in your world is anxious, don't just be like, don't. It, it won't help, okay? It won't fix it. But uh, we're actually going to do a series all about this topic of worry and anxiety because it is so rampant in our world. And Jesus spoke to it so clearly. He says, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus was not anti-planning, okay? When Jesus was saying this, it's actually in the context uh, of, a whole of a whole bunch of metaphors that Jesus uses from the natural world. He says, be like the birds of the air. And if you've ever paid attention to birds, like they've got systems and structures that make life work for them. Right? They store up food, and they know where to get it, and they build their nest, and they have their shelter. Like birds plan. Some of them migrate. They move around. They have a way that they go about life, but Jesus is saying, but they're not worried. Right? You don't have to worry about tomorrow. He's not saying don't plan for the future, but he's saying you don't have to worry about the future. And listen, we, we don't buy that very often, do we? I mean, so many of us. I think if we pulled the room right now, and I'm like, hey, how many of you want to be fully present in the moment as often and as much as you can. I think all of us would be like, yes, please, right? I don't want to miss my own life and let my own life pass me by. So why is it that we don't, right? Why is it that we don't live in the moment? Sometimes we're distracted, right? We've already talked about that, phones and thoughts and all this stuff that can take us away. Sometimes I think we lack faith. And what I mean by that is sometimes we're, we're freaked out by something that happened a long time ago in our past, and we can't move past it, and we can't let go of it, and we think, I've got to figure it out, or I've got to undo it, or I've got to figure out the way forward, because we don't have enough faith that God can somehow redeem it, that God can somehow move us forward from it. Or, or we're so worried about the future, because we think it's our job to control it, and our job to manage it, and, and we don't really believe that God is good enough to already be there, and, and to already be the one who's actually in control. So we're all worried all the time. And if you find yourself on either side of that equation, you're in good company, okay? There's a lot of us who have a hard time either stuck in something from our past or worried about something in our future that keeps us from experiencing life in the present moment. But if you're here, I want to give you just a couple of practical steps that you can take. Um, when it relates to our past, man, so many of us, the thing that we carry with us is regret, right? You made a mistake. Maybe somebody hurt you and you have regret for how you responded or you have regret forever ending up in that spot. And what can happen if you're carrying regret is often regret leads to rumination. If you don't know what rumination is, it's a term from psychology. Basically, it's when you get fixated on something and you just keep playing it over and over and over in your mind. It's like a cow chewing on the grass and just like gnawing on it forever, right? Like, like it just runs through your mind. You've uh, practiced rumination before. If you've ever had the argument that you're gonna have with yourself in the mirror before you're in front of the person, right? And you're just thinking about it, right? Like, this is what I'm gonna say and why I ought to, and then you get in front of them and don't actually do any of it. But that's kind of like rumination. I, it's when you're stuck on this thing and, and regret can often feel that way. So often in our lives, I, if we're not careful, regret feels like a finish line. It, it feels like this thing that happened and it's just all, everything comes to a stop, right? And we can't move past it. But what if regret is actually meant to be a starting line? What if the reason that we feel regret isn't to keep us stuck, but what if it's actually a helpful thing, kind of a functional thing that's supposed to help us understand, yes, that thing may have happened in the past. You may have been wrong, right? You, you may have been hurt 
by someone. That, that's real and that matters. But regret is intended to move us to make things better now. Right? It's not intended for us to stay stuck in the pain of the past, but it's intended to give us the motivation to understand we can do things differently now, that we can actually do things right now. Regret shouldn't just remind us that something bad happened. Regret can remind us that we can do better moving forward. And so the invitation, if you're feeling like stuck in the past for some reason, it's actually to allow God to redeem your regret. I, I believe wholeheartedly that there is not a single thing any one of us goes through that God can't redeem. And, and it's hard to understand how sometimes, and, and I'm not trying to say there's just a clear point-by-point point map for how you get there, but I can tell you that if you trust him, if you open yourself up, God can redeem any regret in your life. Or maybe you're on the other side, right? It's not your past, but it's some worry that you have about the future. And, and as you focus on the future in an unhealthy way, it's leading you to worry. It's leading you to be anxious. And Jesus may have said, don't do it. Be like, I don't know how to turn it off, right? I don't know how not to do it. The thing that most of us are seeking when we're worried about the future is control, right? We want to feel like we have control about where life's going or about the people who matter most to us. But the truth is we don't have that. And instead, the invitation for all of us as it relates to our future is to understand that we can actually trust God with our future, that God is already there, and that God's character is consistent today and tomorrow, that whatever tomorrow looks like, God will be there and God's good. And and listen, I'm not saying bad things don't still happen. I'm not saying there aren't things that naturally make us worry, but I am saying we don't have to stay fixated in worry, that we can plan but not be anxious because God is there in the future. So do you know how to be present in the moment that you're actually living in? You have to surrender the past that you can't change and trust God with a future that you can't control. Surrender the past that you can't change. Okay, whatever happened, happened. And it may have been bad, but it can be redeemed. Okay, you can do better moving forward. And you can trust God with a future that you can't control. God can redeem your past, and God is already in your future. So the invitation is for us to be present now. And this is how Jesus' brother James uh, actually talked about this. He says, come now, right? Now in this moment. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James is not like a really fun guy to hang out with, okay? It's kind of a a depressing outlook, but it's this thing that actually we've talked about in in a recent series. James says, hey, you're all worried about tomorrow, right? You're planning, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to accomplish that, because what is your life really? It's a mist that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes, And when James talks about this idea of mist, it's that same Hebrew word that we looked at in our wisdom series. It's the word hevel, which basically means vapor, right? Here one day, it's gone the next. If you've ever like fogged up a window and you breathed on it and there it is, and then you backed away and it's gone, James is saying that's kind of life, right? It's there one moment and it's gone the next and it's sobering. And the image that uh, I think of often as it relates to this and just the reality of our lives is the image of an hourglass. We've got a video of one uh, that we'll throw up on the screens. And don't worry, it's a loop, okay? So it's not going to run out. You'll see it reset. But but that time is just going, and it's going, and and this is life, right? You're here. You're here for however long you're here. And time is moving. You're here for a little while, and this life that God has given you on this earth, 
is moving away moment by moment. And again, it's sobering. It's not like the happiest thing to ever think about, but there's three things about this that I think are interesting to me. Uh, one is it bugs me how fast that sand is moving. Right? <laughs> like it bothers me to see that it's passing by and it's passing by and it's passing by. And the thing is for all of us, none of us really know how much sand we have in the top. Right? We think we do. All of us think we have more, right? <laughs> but, but none of us really know how much sand we have at the top. And I mean, you probably know people who thought they had longer and they didn't, right? And it's going and it's going, it's moving so quickly. And the second thing that I notice about that is that you can't do anything to stop that sand from falling. Like, I guess you could break the hourglass, but I don't recommend doing that with your life, okay? So it's just moving. Like, time is passing, and there's really nothing that we can do to stop it. Time's passing every day, and that means every day is a gift from God, right? Every day is a gift from God, and the thing that so many of us do when we're stuck in the past or when we're wound up about the future, is we're wishing away that gift, right? We're wishing away every little grain of sand as we worry or as we regret and as we're stuck in the past. And the third thing, by the way, is that once that sand is in the bottom, you don't get it back. You don't get it back. It's just the way life goes. Life is here one day, and it's gone the next. And like I said, that's sobering, but we need that. We need that awareness so that we're not stuck in our past and we're not fearful of the future, but we can actually live in the present moment that we're in. There is a simple, and in my opinion, overquoted psalm uh, that King David wrote, and a lot of us have it on dish towels or embroidery hoops around our house. Uh, But this is what David said one time reflecting on this dynamic. He said, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Some of you are feeling the Sunday school song again. You're like about to start clapping. But this is the day the Lord has made. Like he's saying this is it. This moment that we have, this is the day that God made for you. And and in fact, I would say the thing he says at the start is the key to the back half. If you understand that perspective, that, that every day, this is the day that God has gifted you. It's the only way that you can actually rejoice and be glad in that day. Otherwise, it'll be here and it'll be gone. You'll be here and you'll be gone and you'll be busy worried or you'll be busy uh, looking back. And, and like to drive it home, you know this, but sometimes we need it spelled out. You can't be happy where you're not, right? You, you, can't, you can't serve Jesus where you're not. You can't love people the way that Jesus loved people where you're not. This is the day, right? This is the day that God gave you. This is the day that God made. And the most important moment that you have in your life is right now. The most important moment you have is now. And the most important person is whoever's in front of you right now. That's the way Jesus lived his life. Every moment counts and we wanna be fully present in the midst of it. And man, we've gotta get this. Isn't it true that often the most powerful moments in life are often the smallest moments? We don't think it in the moment. Like we think there's got to be something big or we got to do something amazing. But isn't it true when we look back on the lives that we lead, it is just a collection of little moments over time that make us into the people that we really are. Uh, for so many of us, it is the little things that nobody does that can actually lead to the big things that everyone wants. That we ignore these moments at our own detriment and we can let our lives fade away from us. And the thing that I want you to get today is please don't miss what you have now, pursuing what you want later. Okay, please don't miss this day, this gift that God has given you now. Because when you look at the way Jesus lived, 
when you don't just agree with the way that he taught, but you actually look at how he lived his life. As he walked along, other people weren't interruptions or inconveniences. They were moments and opportunities to engage and to show the goodness and the love of God. And the same thing's true for our lives. The moment is actually all that you have. The moment that you're in is actually all that you have. And listen, I don't want to make you feel guilty or, or anything like that, or like I'm crazy and just get locked up in a vault until Sunday and then they roll me back out. Like, this is hard. This is incredibly hard, and I'm really bad at it. Okay, it is so easy for us to live distracted and overwhelmed and hurried and to miss the moment that we're given. But when you look at the example of Jesus, when you look at how he modeled a better way for us, it's extraordinary, the invitation that's there for us. I mean, think about it. Jesus, if there's any time that he would have had a permission slip to be distracted from other people, right? If he, if he had a permission slip to be selfish or to be self-consumed, like so many of us often are all the time, it would have been on the cross, Jesus is in the most difficult, excruciating, painful moment at the end of his life. I mean, this gruesome execution that he took on willingly for our sake, pain that we will likely never know. And you would think in that moment, he might just be consumed with himself, right? That he might just be struggling, suffering. But the text tells us that there was a criminal next to him on that cross, that there was another criminal who was also being crucified and he looked over at Jesus and he had this conversation with him and we don't know exactly what he said. They probably had more of a conversation than we have recorded, but I'm willing to bet this criminal said something like, look, I've done a lot of bad things in my life, Jesus, and I, I deserve to be up here I, and I feel really bad about it and I'm, I'm really sorry in this moment. But whatever we said, uh, whatever he said, we know that this criminal in his final moments looks at Jesus and he says, hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, he's even doing it right there. This criminal is thinking of the future. He's like, remember me down the line. And Jesus, even in the middle of his suffering, the worst, most painful moment of his life, he's fully engaged and he's fully present to the person next to him. And he looks at that criminal and he says, today, right? Right now, today, you'll be with me in paradise because that's how he lived his life, right here, right now in this moment that we have. You can't serve Jesus where you're not. You can't be happy where you're not. You can't be fulfilled where you're not. You can't love people where you're not. And it, it, your mind is not where your body is like 47% of the time, right? <laughs> like it, you're missing out on the life that God's given you if we live like this. But a better way is possible, okay? A better way has been modeled for us and it's right in front of us. You can't be a great friend if you're not there. You can't be a great mom or a great dad if you're not there with your kids. Your marriage can't be amazing if you're not there. God's best days for you are right now and a better way is possible, an unrushed, an unhurried, fully present and fully alive way. So let me pray for you. God, uh, this whole series, it is so easy to talk about, and I think it's easy for us to recognize. Right? We look around at the pace of our lives, we look around at uh, the way of our world, and it's easy for us to feel that sense of like, man, something is broken. Something's not working, and it's easy for us to long for a better way, uh, but it's difficult to apply. It's difficult to move against the tide, but God, I pray that you would give us the clarity of what to do and the discipline and the wisdom to actually do it, God, help us uh, if our schedule and our pace is rushed. Help us to slow down. Help us to prioritize the things that matter most, 
to choose how to use our time wisely. God, I pray uh, as it relates to the lives that we've been given that we could be fully present in the midst of them, that we wouldn't be stuck in our past. And God, I pray for the person today who's feeling the sting of regret, who's caught in that cycle of ruminating on the thing that happened. And God, I pray that you would give them courage and confidence that you really can redeem anything, that they don't have to live there anymore, but that they can trust you to redeem their past and let it help them make a better future. God, for those of us in the room who, who worry about the future, who just want control so badly, I pray that you could give us confidence in you, that we could actually trust that you're already there and that you're good and whatever may happen, that you're with us and working all things for our good. And God, I pray for the sake of a watching world that we could be people who embody your presence, that we're attentive to each other, that we share the goodness and the love of God with everyone we meet because we choose not just to agree with the things that you taught, but to actually try and live the way that you lived. God, we pray and we ask all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.